So this morning we come to Exodus chapter 3, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Exodus chapter 3, the second book from the beginning of your Bible. And let's go ahead and jump right on into verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Now, one of the things that immediately jumped out to me in verse 1 here as I was studying was that we continue to get a look into the character of this man, Moses. We know that he was a man set apart by God, a man whom we will see that God will use in a very mighty way. But he is here in verse 1, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. If you remember from our study last time, the last time we were together, we saw how this man, Jethro, had opened his home to Moses when Moses was in a time of need. Moses was leaving a lot behind, wasn't he? All that he ever had, all that he ever had known, he had left behind in Egypt. And this was all because God had a plan for his life. And Jethro opened his home to this man, Moses. So Egypt, the place of Moses' birth, the place of his upbringing, was not where Moses was supposed to be at this point in time. Midian was where Moses was now supposed to be at this point in his life because God was doing something. God was doing something new in his life. And as we study through the scriptures, we can always learn things like this, what, what, how we see God work in, in, in the lives of people. God obviously gave us these stories for a purpose, for a reason. It's His Word, and He gave it to us so that we can learn from it and grow from it ourselves, right? And we see things like this, and that's why I take the time to point them out, that God's doing something different in the life of Moses. God is doing something new, and He uses this man, Jethro, who is his father-in-law at this point, but he uses this man, Jethro, to to help Moses. And we will see shortly here that God will give uh, give Moses his calling in life right here from where he is right now in this land of Midian. You see, sometimes God takes you to a different place in life. It could just be different circumstances. It could be a different geographical location altogether. But he has a plan in it, and he has something for your life. And if we're wise, we we take note of those kind of things, and we say, oh, there is a God, first of all, and he is active in my life. He's doing something here, and I want to pay attention to him and what he's doing. But before Moses gets his calling, he is here honoring and respecting his father-in-law, who, again, gave him a hand during a time of need. You see, his father-in-law had done so much, like I said, to open his home and to give him a place to stay, a place of comfort. Remember, Moses was on the run. He had to get out of Egypt. He had to get out of his homeland, right? But this was a place where Moses could get settled in life and get his feet firmly on the ground. And of course, we know that Moses also received a wife from this man, Jethro, right? So that's why I say that we're getting a look into the character of Moses 
And we've seen some of that in our last study as well. We saw how he was a man that stood for justice. He didn't like to see people being mistreated. If you remember what we studied in chapters 1 and 2, right? We saw where he had helped a fellow Hebrew that was being beaten by an Egyptian man. And then the next day he went out and attempted to bring peace between two Hebrew men that were fighting with each other. Then we saw where he helped some women at a well that were being harassed by some shepherds. And now we see him helping his father-in-law here, a man that helped him out in a time of need. So you can get a glimpse into the character. If you take the time when you study Scripture to pray on these things and look at these things, you can, you can learn a lot. Moses is a strong and a godly man, okay? A man of honor, a man of integrity. I'm sure he was a fine son-in-law to, to Jethro. A man that stood for what was right, even if he had to leave everything behind that he ever knew as a result of standing for what's right. You see, there's a time to grow and there's a time to go in life. And God constantly brings that into our lives. We grow and we go, meaning we grow, we we take some growth out of what we learn and what God shows us, and we go forward with it and we move on in it. And we're, we're constantly changing to become men and women of God. And that's what we see in the life of Moses. Moses grew in Egypt, but God called him in Midian. Moses, Egypt was his homeland in that sense, but God called him someplace else. So here, again, he's helping his father-in-law. Now we'll uh, see his calling in life, starting in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, back there in verse 1, we see that this place where Moses is tending his father-in-law's flock is called Horeb, and the mountain of God. It's referred to as the mountain of God there. Uh, This mountain is also referred to in the Bible as Sinai. Well, as we go forward, this is Mount Sinai. Horeb is Mount Sinai. The word Horeb actually means desolate or a desert place. So it's interesting to think about the fact that Moses came from Egypt, a land that had it all, right? And where he thought he had it all, and he did have it all, all his needs were taken care of back there. Remember, he lived in a palace. He lived in the king's palace. But God takes him to a desert, to a desolate place where a man that was to be his father-in-law helped him. And there God gives Moses his calling in his life that we'll soon learn about as we go on here. Again, when you think about that kind of thing and you think about, well, I'm in one place where I have it all. It seems okay here. I'm comfortable here. It seems good here. But then things get rocked in one way, shape, or form. And you end up somewhere else. And then the Lord shows you things there and gives you something in your life. And that's, I always quote this verse, but our ways are not His ways. His ways are much higher than ours, right? So often we plan out our lives in a way, in a certain way, and then God opens up a different way that's outside of our plans. Now who'd have thunk that Moses would ever leave Egypt, where again, he had all he ever wanted or ever needed. He, he was a Hebrew, right, in Egypt, 
but not a slave. All the other Hebrews in Egypt were slaves. He was not a slave. He was born a slave, if you remember. He was born into a slave family, but he was raised a prince. And then he became a fugitive. But a fugitive is what God wanted him to be and where God would use him as. Again, why did Moses become a fugitive in the first place? Because he stood for what was right. He stood to help other people. And now here's this desert-like bush that is burning, but not really burning. It's not being consumed. It, it gives the appearance of being on fire, but there was something more to it. And then verse 3 says, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. So you see, if you have been born again of the Spirit of God, you have come to a a place in your life where the Scripture says old things have passed away and all things become new. Okay, that's that's a a distinctive mark of a born-again Christian, a person that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. They have repented from their sin, they have turned and they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And a person, if you've done that, then God will, by His Spirit, do this kind of thing in your life from time to time. That is, what I mean by that is, He will do something like He's doing with Moses here. Something to get your attention. Something to make you turn your head, to to turn your eyes on Him and to what He is speaking to you and what He desires for you. He will call you out in one way, shape, or form. Maybe move you from one place or another to get your attention. And you just simply need to pay attention at that point. Simply give God your total focus. And that's what I remind us of week after week. Turn your eyes upon the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek Him in prayer. Seek Him through His Word. Seek His will for your life, to give Him your attention, right? And from a pure heart, say, here I am, Lord. Is that the attitude of our hearts today, to say, here I am, Lord, what do you want of me? Not, not it's all about my plans, but what do you want, Lord, from me? Unfortunately, too often in this life, many people who even profess faith in Jesus Christ have their eyes fixed on Egypt, meaning fixed on the world, fixed on that place they came out of when they were born again. But too many times people keep their eyes on Egypt. And I'm using Egypt as a metaphor for the world that we're to turn turn away from and to come out of. And though they profess Christianity, they're not really listening to the Lord. And He may be trying to get their attention, but they love what the world offers them. And they have their own plans for how they want their life to be. But God's trying to do something to get their attention, to turn their head on, their eyes upon Him. Right? And oftentimes, there's so many things in this world to get our attention. So much entertainment, right? So many things, so many things that are nice and shiny that, that get our attention. And, and, we real, and we don't even realize we're not focused on the will of God. We're focused on our own will. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
the love of the Father is not in them. Okay? And I will exhort us all this morning to say to be sure to examine yourself as to whether you love the world more or you love the Father more. You love God's will for your life more than you love the world, right? It's easy to do. It's easy to to, to examine yourself, I mean. All All you need to do is to take a look at how much time you spend with your eyes on the man-made things of this world as compared to seeking the Lord and His will for your life, right? It could be, uh, again, there's all kinds of things in this world, cell phones, laptops, iPads, televisions, movie theaters, all kind of stuff that want to, to get our attention. And if we're not careful, our mind ends up getting so consumed with Egypt, so consumed with the world, that we're not hearing the voice of God. And we're not even able to respond and say, here I am, Lord, when He's calling out to us, when He's trying to get our attention, because our mind's too clouded with everything else. So we need to seek after godliness, righteousness, things like faith, hope, love, purity, virtuous things. The Bible even instructs us that we're to keep our eyes or, or to um, think on those type of things, right? So we have to ask ourselves, are these things what our lives are pointed toward, or is it the things of the world? It's easy to miss sometimes when God is calling you or what, he, what His will is for your life if you don't pay attention to Him when He's trying to get your focus on Him. It may not be something like a burning bush. It may simply be the circumstances of your life that he's using. The, a change in your job, a change in your location, a change in this, a change in that. And God's saying, hey, I'm doing something. But he doesn't speak through burning bushes today, and I'm going to touch on that in a little while. He doesn't speak to us in that way today. But he, but he does speak to us. All right? And the circumstances of your life may be showing you where God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. So in verse 5, God continues to speak to Moses. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, as we studied through the book of Genesis, we saw where God was often referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But here we also see that God tells Moses that he is the God of his father as well. You see, Moses' father was a man named Amram. The name Amram is a Hebrew name meaning friend of the Most High. So Amram was evidently a man of God himself. Moses' father was a man of God himself. That was his name, Amram, friend of the Most High. And Amram had three children. He had Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, all in that order. Miriam, of course, was the one that we saw uh, back in our last study in chapter 2, keeping a watchful eye over Moses as he was in the ark as a baby. Remember, he was floating in the river and it told us that his sister was looking out for him. 
that was Miriam, his older sister. Um, Miriam was the one that suggested that Pharaoh's daughter go and get a Hebrew woman or that she would go and get a Hebrew woman for Pharaoh's daughter that would nurse Moses and take care of him, which of course ended up being Moses' own mother. Aaron, Moses' brother, was older than Moses, though we really do not know how much older he was, but we know that he was old enough to not be cast into the river as we studied the last time we were together. Remember, they were to take the Hebrew children and cast them into the river if they, if they saw them? Well, Aaron was kind of must have been beyond that age because he was still alive. But again, Amram, Moses' father, was a man of God. And God makes it clear to Moses here who it is that is speaking with him from the midst of this burning bush. And, the, and, and he makes it clear that this is holy ground upon which Moses is now standing. Because you see, God will end up, and we'll see it as we go along through, through the chapters, but God will end up bringing his people back to this place, to Oreb, to Mount Sinai. God's going to bring them back there when he brings them out of Egypt through Moses, and he's going to worship there. Look, uh, verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, because they're taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So a couple of things we see in verse 7. First of all, these Hebrew people in captivity in Egypt, they're God's people, and he says so right there. They are oppressed, and God knows it. He knows that they are living sorrowful lives at, at this point in time. And you see, that just brings to mind that, that bad things happen to God's people. You see, too many today think that when they come to Christ and become a child of God, all their problems are gone. But this isn't the case. We live in a fallen world. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. In other words, like I talked about last time, our eyes aren't fixed on staying here, living here. Our eyes are fixed on where we're going. There's another place for us. There's some place that God's going to take us to, right? But for now, we live in a fallen world. And the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, bad things happen to people that are seeking God and to people that are not, right? But God has a plan to deliver us from this present age. And here we see that he desires to deliver the Hebrews from their present sorrows. And verse 8 says, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, of course, God is talking about bringing the Hebrews, the Israelites, back to, ultimately, he's going to bring them back to the land that he's sworn to them. And that's what he's talking about here. It didn't matter if the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. It didn't matter that they all lived there, right? It wasn't their land. It was going to be the Hebrews' land. 
the land would belong to them. Just as it doesn't matter today who lives there, it's still their land. It still belongs to them. But God wants to bring his people out of bondage here and take them to a better place. And of course, we who have been grafted in, as Romans talks about, we've been grafted into this family in in Jesus Christ. We've come to faith in him and we have a place awaiting us as well. We have a land that is awaiting us, a land where believers in Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, just believers in Jesus will one day be for all eternity. But in the meantime, we're here. And in the meantime, this is our Egypt. But we are not to love this world or the things in this world. We're to love God above all else. And we're to look forward to our heavenly home. Then verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this was the calling of Moses, to go and get God's people out of Egypt. He's not going to return to Egypt as a prince. He's not going to go back there and live the way he used to live, right? He's not going to return there as a slave. He's going to go there as a servant of God. What a purpose and a plan. He wasn't going to go back to enjoy the land of Egypt, nor just to hang out with his old friends and just make a life there. No, he has a specific calling, a purpose of God. He will get in and do what the Lord wants him to do, and he'll get out. Okay, because God wants him, first of all, before they go back to the promised land, he wants him to bring him back here to Mount Oreb, Mount Sinai, that desolate place, that desert place. That's the holy ground from which God will speak to. As he's speaking to Moses right now, he's also going to speak to all the children of Israel from that mountain, from that place after Moses goes and gets them and brings them all out. Because verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So in this statement of Moses is here, I see humility. Now, who knows what was on his mind, but he, he, he doesn't simply think that he's good enough to do what God wants him to do or capable of doing it. But, you know, our feelings about God's will never really amount to anything. Our feelings really don't matter. It's about what God wants, right? We shouldn't restrict the work of God in our lives based on the way that we feel about something or our opinions or our, you know, the way we thought about it while we grew up or whatever. We shouldn't base it on that. It's not based on that. You see, our inadequacies do not affect God's power and ability to work through us. God promises to be with us as we walk through this life, trusting in Him. And He tells Moses in verse 12, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's why I keep pointing out to you that He's going to bring them back to this place right here where the bush is burning. Mount Oreb, Mount Sinai. He's going to First, they're coming back there. 
to this desolate place, this desert place. This was where God wanted Moses to bring the people back to. This was holy ground, the place of the burning bush, right? This is the place where God will eventually give them the law from, right? The Ten Commandments and such. And notice there in verse 12 that there is no doubt about the fact that Moses is going to be successful in God's plan. God doesn't say there, if you bring the people out. God says, when you have brought the people out. When. So Moses is going to be successful in what he's about to do. One man who thinks himself inadequate when submitted to the will of God can do all things, no matter how inadequate we think we are. If we're submitted to the will of God, we can do what the Lord wants us to do. But there's nothing wrong with questions and such, right? And Moses does indeed have some concerns. And he says in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, I think that this is actually a very good question of Moses here, because first of all, when he gets to these people, they have had a hard life for hundreds of years, right? Millions of their ancestors were born into slavery year after year in Egypt. And it's going to be hard for them to believe that there's a way of escape at this point. And surely the name Moses will mean nothing to them. It means something to the Hebrews now. It means something today, right? But it didn't mean nothing to them at that time, I'm sure. So they will probably wonder, you know, by what authority this man Moses is coming to them. Where does he get his authority to think he can pull a couple million people out of Egypt and out of slavery? Moses can say all he wants that God has sent him, but who is this God that has sent you, Moses? That's what Moses thinks the people are going to wonder. And today, as I also mentioned in our last study, we have a deliverer today. One that has come to set mankind free. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came to this earth as one of us, just like Moses was one of them, a Hebrew when he went there. Jesus came to this earth as one of us, a person in the flesh, God in the flesh, right? Moses was once in a palace where he was a prince and Jesus left his heavenly throne and came as God in the flesh who is known as the Prince of Peace. His name is the name that all people must know today. What they must know about him is that he is the one and only deliverer. He's the way out. He's the name above all names. And when we take the gospel today to a lost and dying world, right, which we should be doing as Christians, when we do this, the lost people, the people in bondage, the name they need to hear is the name of Jesus. If I go out with a message from God, I'm taking it in the name of Jesus, right? They need to know that he is the one that can set them free. But at this point in time, Moses said, well, who do I say sent me? 
What name carries the authority to set these people free? And God said in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, let me pause right here. And I want to kind of take a little slight rabbit trail, but it'll come back together. But I want you to mark this page and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. So God tells Moses, just tell him, I am has sent you. Jesus speaking in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, so you got that in mind? Let me read that again. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So now, as we flip back to Exodus 3, reading verse 14 one more time, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So I am here simply means that there was never a time when God did not exist or a time when he will cease to exist. And when Jesus said that he is the one who was, he is professing that he is God who has always existed. And when Jesus said that he is the one who is, well, he was alive on the face of the earth and he's still alive today. He is. And when Jesus says that he is the one that is to come, he is simply professing that he will be back and will always be. He is the one that is to come. And we also saw in Revelation 1.8 that Jesus stated that He is the Almighty. Now, there's a much deeper study you can do in regards to this name, I Am, right? Especially as it pertains to the name Yahweh. And these Hebrews knew when Moses showed up with this name, they knew who he was talking about the one and only true God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew that this God, the I Am, as we see written here, was the God of their fathers, and that He was the God that always was and always will be. Later, much later, many, many years after this time we're reading about now, this same God is going to show up on the earth in the flesh as Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus is not just the Messiah to the Hebrews. He's the Messiah to all, to the Gentiles as well. So the great I Am, who was and who is and who is to come, is our God. The great I Am, who always was and always will be, was this God that was sending Moses to do what he was going to do. And Moses was God's ambassador. And today we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, representatives of him in this world. 
If you call yourself a Christian, you, the word indicates in its meaning that you're like Christ. So it's not just the religion. You're saying, I am like Jesus Christ. So someone should look at us and then say, really? Well, let me see how Jesus was. He, he was like this. We see in the word, he was like this. This was his character. This was his nature. If I say I'm a Christian, then I'm saying I'm like him. I'm like Christ. Okay? And today we have no other name by which men can be set free or saved other than the name of Jesus. So if someone comes to you and speaks to you any, of any other God, then you know that they're not speaking truth and they're not speaking with authority. If they deny that Jesus is the Almighty, if they deny that Jesus is God, then you should pay no attention to them because Jesus himself pr professes to be the Almighty. So right now, the, the authoritative name that we have is Jesus. This is the name above all names. We pronounce it as Jesus in our English language, right? The name above all names. At that time, he was called I Am to them. And they knew him as Yahweh. And this was the name they were familiar with. The Hebrews were familiar with. So, so Moses is just getting things clear here. Okay, who, who am I saying? I'm coming in their name. Okay. So the point of the matter is here this morning is that God, the one who simply is and always was, is sending Moses to this people. And that's all Moses needs to say who sent them. Then in verse 15, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So basically, there's nothing new here. The same God that's always been their God. The same God that worked in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all their people. This is the same God that's going to set them free from bondage in Egypt. There's no other God, right? The God that we have today was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for us, he simply appeared in the flesh 2,000 years ago, and his name was Jesus. The same God that created all that is, that worked in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all their descendants, that God became flesh. And that's our God. The Gospel of John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus Christ. So one and the same God, and I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring this point, but it's important that we understand this here. Verse 16, God says to Moses, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. So pause right there, because what jumped out to me is, it just said within myself, don't make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't see what's happening in the life of his children. And don't make the mistake of thinking that he's the cause of all of these 
of bad things in your life when bad things do happen, right? Because the time for our deliverance from this perverse generation is one day coming. And Jesus has opened the way already. He is the way. And people need to come to faith in Him today. Faith is how we come to Him. And that faith leads us to repentance, to turn our eyes off of the world, to turn our eyes off of Egypt, and to turn our eyes upon God and put our attention upon what He wants for us. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Right? But God sees and He knows everything that goes on in our lives. And one day the Deliverer is coming. And for the Hebrews, the Deliverer was on His way now. He was about to come. The one that was going to pull him out of bondage, he was close to coming. God's just giving him the instructions here. And in verse 17, and I, and I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure, this is what God says, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So pause right there for a minute, because I want to point out to you that when this world has a grip on you, it doesn't want to let go. And if you put yourself in a position in life where you start going down the wrong path and you allow the world to put a grip on you, it's going to hold on. And it's going to be hard to break free from the grip that the world will put on you. And God's saying, even by a mighty hand, Pharaoh is going to want to let these people go. Okay? So Satan, the god of this present age, this period of time in which we now live, he controls a whole bunch in this world. And we see him spreading hatred in our world today. Like I talked about last time, legislating evil, right? But he wants to get a hold of your mind today as well. He wants to take you down a path of destruction. Each one of us, don't think he doesn't. Because he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants us to get our attention on Egypt, on the things of the world, the place where everything's shiny and, and good and, and plentiful and not, and not thinking about God, right? And, and Satan will do this through any avenue that he can. Any way that he can, he'll turn your head off of God, right? And many people today have unfortunately had their eyes turned off of God because they've bought a teaching that they're saved by grace and it doesn't matter how they live. It doesn't matter how they live, right? But this is a lie from the devil himself because the Bible tells us that it does matter how we live, that we are to live in a certain way, right? But Satan will capture the minds of people and is capturing the minds of people today through the computer, through the television, through the movie screen, through the radio and such. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not preaching some hellfire and brimstone message against these things. I'm just saying, guard your mind and watch what you hear. 
It starts in Sunday school, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. It's an old Sunday school song. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And we need to be careful. We need to, to watch out, right? Because, because Satan has taken the mind of people and twisting it today. And it's become an all-about-me generation that we now live in. A- an arrogant and a proud generation that's all about selfies and such. A look-at-me generation. It's all about me. I, I-, I love me. Don't you love me? Yeah, everybody loves me, right? Just look at the music today and what the words of music are focused on. Satan wants you to think that it's all about you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is different than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, die to yourself. Take up the cross and follow after Jesus. Let go of me. Let go of yourself, right? We are to be a people that don't walk by sight, but walk by faith not planning our lives the way we want them to be, but trusting God and listening to God and seeking God about how He wants us to be. Dead to ourselves and dead to this world, not loving this world. But the world is like Egypt, right, for us, and it's like the Egypt was for the Hebrews. And and God says here that He doesn't want to let go too easily. So you've got to be careful that you don't let it get a grip on you. And we, and we will see that the Hebrews, that God will stop with the Hebrews here. God will stop at nothing in order to set them free. But you know what? God has stopped at something today. There is a point that God has stopped now. But now there's only one way to be set free. Okay? He has stopped at someone, and that someone is Jesus. And He's the only way, and people must repent and turn to Him, or else there's no salvation. Right? You will not be set free, because Jesus is the only one. The Bible says, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You see, here in verse 20, God says, So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, He will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. You see, one day there's going to be an end to this world as we now know it. The Hebrews had to go on living in the world physically. Keep keep in mind that we are reading here about something that actually physically took place. God was actually working in the lives of these people as it pertained to the physical circumstances of their lives, and He was sending this man Moses to go and get them out of there. But when the New Testament speaks to us today about Jesus and us coming to know Him, It speaks of a work that is not done physically in our lives. Again, there's no burning bushes for us, but it's something that's done spiritually. We're changed from the inside out. And God is still reaching out and speaking to men and women today, but He's speaking to their hearts. And when I said that God has stopped at something, I said that we're going to see with 
the children of Israel, that God's not going to stop at anything till he gets them out of there. Well, today there's, God has stopped. He's provided one way, one final way, one last way. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 tells us that God at various times and in various ways in times past, he says, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Whom he, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So through Jesus, God made the world, made everything that is. And Jesus is the final way now that God has spoken to us. There's no burning bushes and no things like that happening. It's Jesus, the finished work of Jesus Christ. The answer is already there. The answer is what Jesus has done. Jesus died on that cross. He said it is finished. And now people must just come to faith in that and they must take up the cross themselves and die. Right? God's not going to cause plagues as we're going to see as we go on. God's not going to cause plagues in the lives of your enemies today either. Right? God has spoken in just one way now. The way, the truth, and the life. Right? So have you truly left your Egypt behind? Have you truly left the world behind and come to Jesus? Or is this world still have, or does this world still have a grip on you? And you're still holding on to it, not letting go. The name above all names, God Almighty, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come, he has appeared on the earth once and he's shown us the way. He's shown us the way to salvation, and it's in the Gospels. We come to faith in Him, and He's coming again to deliver us once and for all. But the Bible tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that word fear mean? It means reverence, right? We're to work out our salvation with reverence. We're to live in a reverent way, where we're reverencing God where we're honoring God with the way that we live and, and we seek Him in our lives. And as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what He wants us to seek. That's what He'll do. And then He'll take care of the things I need. So are we working out our salvation with fear and trembling? So I'm, I'm posing a couple questions here, but we must take these questions seriously. Do not love the things of the world, nor the things that are in the world. Don't let the world get a grip on you. Surrender all that you are to Jesus Christ, because our Deliverer is coming. And we see here for the Hebrews that their Deliverer was coming. But for you and me, it applies today. Our Deliverer is coming. Are we ready for Him? And do we know His name? And have we taken His name upon ourselves to become Christ-like ourselves? Because that's what a Christian is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your holy word. Your word is a living word. It is an active word, as, as it says in Hebrews. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And even as we've studied your word today, we have the opportunity to look into our own hearts and to look at our own lives and see how we are living. 
Are we truly Christians? Are we truly Christ-like people? Or are we hypocrites with, with a religion that names the name of Jesus? Lord, your word is powerful, and we thank you for it. I pray, Lord, that those that will hear this teaching, those that will take the time to listen to it, I pray, Lord, that that you will touch their hearts, that you will work within them. And Lord, just as all of us here today have seen your word, I pray that you will increase our faith and that we would desire to walk with you through this life and, and to follow in your ways, Lord. So Lord, again, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would go before us in the coming week and that above all things, Lord, your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.